You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman. Open up your Bibles this morning where we left off. It's amazing to me that we have been studying this book since the days that I was sitting in my office recording sermons during lockdown and COVID in 2020. It's the longest series we've ever been, but we're, we're going to finish it someday soon. We left off two weeks ago at Yeshua's arrest in Gat Shmanim and his appearance before the emeritus Kohen Gadol Anan Anis and his subsequent appearance before Anan's son-in-law, Caiaphas. I was actually called by a friend of mine, Caiaphas, this week. It was not a term of endearment, but we have a good friendship, and we can, we can handle some of the, the digs against each other, who was the acting high priest. This was all orchestrated, as you know, as an attempt to convict the Messiah on religious charges of blasphemy, that he declared himself equal with God. Yet these preliminary hearings that we looked at a couple of weeks ago failed to yield incriminating evidence in the contents of the Messiah's teaching. And so like I did two Shabbats ago, I'm going to be supplementing today's passage with some of extra details found in the other gospel accounts that aren't mentioned in Luke's account. So let's begin where we left off last time in Luke chapter 22, and let's begin reading in verse 63. Now the men who were guarding Yeshua began mocking And beating him. They blindfolded him and kept asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And reviling him, they were saying many other things against him. And as it became day, the elders of the people gathered together, both ruling Kohanim and Torah scholars, and they led him away to their council, to the Sanhedrin, saying, If you are Mashiach, Messiah, tell us. But Yeshua said to them, if I tell you, you will never believe. And if I ask you, you will never answer. But from now on, the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you then Ben Elohim, the Son of God? And to them he said, you say that I am. Then they said, what further need do we have for testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. My friends, Adonai actually here allowed himself in the person of his son, to be taken into custody here, to be mocked, right? To be beaten, falsely accused, judged actually by angry men who finally succeeded, as we'll see, in executing him. And I hope that by considering here his willing but terrible mistreatment at their hands that you and I will be moved by his great love and sacrifice on our behalf to follow him with even more devotion in 2022. This text tells us, shows us two sets of characters in this epic drama, the men who sat in judgment on Yeshua and Yeshua who sat in judgment on them then by his power and majesty, but who will sit in judgment on all in the future when he returns. So let's unpack that. 
We see human beings presently sit in judgment here on Yeshua, just as Yeshua then allowed himself to be bound and mocked and spit upon and beaten and rejected by men. So now, today, he tolerates the ragings today of evil people against himself. Some through his mercy, Moruch Hashem, will come to Teshuvah and Emunah. We got a text from Jeff McGarity, couldn't be with us today, that him and his wife were doing a final stand at Planned Parenthood El Cajon, and they got into some amazing discussions with people walking by, and, and I believe, if I understand correctly, that one or two came into the kingdom of God as they, as they shared with them there. Some through his mercy will come to faith and trust. Others are unfortunately storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And Luke t- shows us here two broad types of people. Number one, some sit in judgment on Yeshua, as they did here, in pursuit of their pleasure. Perhaps after their interview, or the interview with Anan or Annas, while the Jewish leaders were waiting for a quorum to come together of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish temple police who held Yeshua in custody decided to have some fun with their prisoner. Many of them, as the Bible says here, mocked him. And perhaps imitating his teaching style, mimicking him by repeating some of his claims, possibly, perhaps even with a Galilean accent. The other gospel accounts relate that they spit in his face, and then they blindfolded him and, and hit him in the face, mockingly asking him to prophesy about who hit him. Now, hopefully we today are not as cruel as these men. But we've all put personal pleasure ahead of the things of God. But some sit in judgment on Yeshua, not only in the pursuit of pleasure, but in pursuit of power, we see in this passage. You see, the Jewish leaders were not inquiring here of Yeshua so that they could be his followers. No, their minds were already made up. Nachon, isn't that right? They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to hold on to The power because they enjoyed it. The questions that they that they asked Yeshua were actually devised to trap him by their by his own words so that they could accuse him later before Pontius Pilate. You see, if Yeshua claimed to be the Messiah, a king, then he stood in opposition to Rome. And since Rome denied the Jewish people the right to carry out capital punishment, since the Jewish leaders here did not want to draw fire from those in the multitudes that were liking the things Yeshua was saying and doing, they wanted grounds to accuse him before Pilate and let him do the dirty work of crucifying Yeshua. These men loved their position of influence. They loved their position of power. It was financially lucrative For many of them to have a monopoly on the temple business, as we've spoken before, when Yeshua upset their tables, you remember that? When he disrupted their profitable schemes, as we have discussed, they knew they just had to get rid of him. And now Yeshua prophesied, he had prophesied that he was going to die, actually. John chapter 12 told us that he was going to die by being lifted up, meaning lifted up. On an execution stake, which was a Roman 
not a Jewish method of capital punishment. You see, if the Jewish people had not lost this right of capital punishment, a capital jurisdiction, the Jewish leaders could have carried out the death sentence in according with precedent, which would have been by stoning, as we see later in the book of Acts with Stephen, the penalty prescribed for blasphemy. Now, the evidence is confirmed by a tradition preserved in the Talmud to the effect that, quote, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the right to inflict the death penalty was taken away from Israel, Tractate Sanhedrin. And I find it interesting in that Talmudic tradition that it specified 40 years before 70 CE and not... 64 years before 70 CE, when Judea became a Roman, Roman province in 6 AD or CE, it may be that the remembrance of it persisted of, a, of the situation around 30 CE when the, this deprivation of the right was of special significance. But among the forms of execution known to Jewish law, hanging did not uh, normally occur. We know this. In Jewish eyes, hanging men alive actually was an abomination. But hanging men alive was an accurate description of crucifixion, a common Roman form of execution, especially for sedition. So what Luke will show is that this obligatory referring to Yeshua's case to Pilate's jurisdiction makes it possible for the sentence of death by crucifixion to be passed on Yeshua. By the carrying out of the sentence, Yeshua would be literally fulfilling what he had already earlier said, that he would be lifted up from the earth. Now, as a special concession, our Jewish authorities, though, were allowed to execute a sentence of death against violators of the sanctity of the temple, though. And this may explain why an unsuccessful attempt was first made before the Sanhedrin to fasten on the Messiah, Yeshua, a charge of uttering threats and insults against the temple. We find a few years later that a conviction on similar grounds was falsely, as I mentioned, procured against Stephen. And there was no need to have the death sentence against Stephen ratified by the Roman governor. But the truth is, my friends, the day is coming when Yeshua will turn the tables and will sit in judgment on all human beings. Although they asked questions of him with wrong motives... The demand and the question members of the Sanhedrin asked Yeshua here are the two ultimate issues that all today, all human beings face. The first issue is that Yeshua will sit on judgment of all human beings because he is the Messiah. The first demand of him, if you are Mashiach, if you are Messiah, tell us. That was insincere on the part of these Jewish leaders, Yeshua knew that. And he replies, in effect, he's replying, what good will it do to tell you? Your minds are already made up. They were not asking the question out of a, a heart that wanted to know more of the truth. They were trying to, what, bait Yeshua, right? To set him up so that they could report to Pilate that Yeshua was claiming political leadership of the Jewish people in opposition to Rome. But Yeshua's response here shows us that when dealing with scoffers who are really not interested in knowing the truth, but who simply want ammunition to shoot back at you, to shoot back at us, don't waste your breath. 
The second issue is this, that Yeshua will sit in judgment on all human beings, not only because he's the Messiah, but because he is the son of Adonai. Yeshua goes on here to tell the Jewish leaders, quote, that from now on the son of man is seated at the right hand of the power of God. This brings together, it's interesting that he made that statement because what he's doing here is he's bringing together several different prophecies from the Tanakh. Psalm chapter 2, which predicts the rule of Yeshua, who is installed as Adonai's king and is called Adonai's son. He's bringing together Psalm 2, Psalm 110, where Adonai tells David's Lord to sit at his right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. And he's bringing together the prophets as well. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel sees one, you remember, like the son of, like a son of man who comes up to the Ancient of Days and who was given dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom among all peoples, nations, and tongues. Yeshua uses this phrase, the Son of Man, in reference to himself. But the Jewish leaders respond by asking him, Are you then Ben Elohim? Are you then the Son of God? They got the connection of Yeshua answering him about the Son of Man. They got that Psalm 2 download. They got that Psalm 110 download. They got that Daniel 7. They knew what he was speaking about. That God's Son is in a unique way that no one else is. The Son of Man. So what's Yeshua doing? He's turning the tables on them. They thought they were sitting in judgment on him. Yeshua lets them know that really he's sitting in judgment on them. And Yeshua answers their question here about being the son of God by literally saying, you say that I am. Now, think about it. Why didn't Yeshua just say, yes, Ken? But I think the reason why is because it goes back to Yeshua's explanation of why he spoke in parables. Quote, in order that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Parables revealed truth to seekers, but it concealed truth from the scoffers who continued in their spiritual blindness. Clearly, the Jewish leaders knew that he meant ten, yes, because they concluded, what further need do we have for testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Let's go on. Verse 1, chapter 23. Then the entire assembly got up and brought Yeshua to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow subverting our nation, forbidding payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Messiah, a king. So Pilate questioned him and saying, Are you the king of the Jews? As you say, Yeshua replied. Then Pilate said to the ruling Kohanim and the crowds, I find no case against this man. But they kept insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, starting from the Galilee to as far as here, Jerusalem. But when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that Yeshua was from Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod was overjoyed. When he saw Yeshua, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, but because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle done by him. 
He was questioning Yeshua on many, on many issues, but Yeshua did not answer at all. And the ruling Kohanim and the Torah scholars stood their ground, strongly accusing him. Now Herod, together with his soldiers, were treating him with contempt and mocking him. They put splendid clothing on him and sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with one another from that very day, for previously they had been enemies with one another. My friends, sometimes you and I are forced to make a verdict on someone when we would rather not do that. But to make no verdict is to make a verdict. To be neutral is to take sides. And maybe, like jury duty, we didn't ask to be called and involved, but it was just thrust upon us, right? And now we're faced with a decision we'd rather not make. That was the situation Pilate found himself in on that spring morning. He hadn't even eaten breakfast when there's a clamor outside of his accommodations in Jerusalem, whether that was in Herod's palace on the western wall or the Antonia fortress northwest of the temple area. He didn't even want to be in Jerusalem, but he had to be there. No, he much preferred his seaside quarters at Caesarea, at Caesarea, away from the center of Jewish religious life. He despised these, if you will, stubborn, difficult-to-govern Jews. He didn't appreciate Judaism. And Pilate may have been thinking to himself, why couldn't they be just more tolerant and open-minded, these Jews, like us Romans? But here he was, the governor of Judea. He couldn't afford to stay away from Jerusalem, especially over Passover, when thousands of our Jewish people, right, would flock to the city. He had to maintain law and order. And so grumbling to his wife, in my mind's eye, he gets out of bed. He goes to see why these pesky Jews wanted, what, what do they want at this early hour? And he found out they had a prisoner that morning whom they wanted him to judge right now. We find in Yochanan's gospel, John's account, that Pilate didn't want to be bothered and told them, hey, you guys judge him. According to your own law, judge him, John 18. But they wanted to put Yeshua to death, and Roman law would not allow them to inflict capital punishment. And so without warning that morning, Pilate had thrust upon him the task of making a verdict on Messiah Yeshua. My friends, whenever a person comes in contact with Messiah Yeshua, no matter how inadvertent that contact is. Maybe it's just receiving a gift basket at your workplace. Whether he or she realizes it at the time or not, he or she is faced with the most important decision of their lives. The verdict regarding Messiah Yeshua is the most important decision human beings will ever make. You know, it's fascinating that Betty White gave an interview this week earlier. She was in great health, two weeks away from her 100th birthday. Well, the Lord had other plans. Don't know if she knew him or not. Don't know much about it. But listen, this is the most important decision human beings will ever make, the verdict concerning the Messiah Yeshua. 
In Matthew's account of this trial, Pilate asked the Jewish people, quote, What then shall I do with Yeshua, who is called Messiah? And again, that crucial question is the most important question in life for every one of us. What will you and I do with Messiah Yeshua? And our text here shows us three main characters who made the fatal decision to reject him. Let's learn from their negative example, shall we? The men who rejected Messiah teach us some lessons that we can avoid, we should avoid. Number one, we see the Jewish leaders here. Willful, knowing rejection of Messiah. These men had seen repeated evidence over and over that Yeshua was their Messiah. He had taught as no man had ever taught. He had done powerful, undeniable miracles to back up his claims. He fulfilled numerous prophecies in the Holy Scriptures, their scriptures. But they willingly, knowingly rejected him because he was a threat to their power. He was a threat to their position. Yeshua was decidedly not leading a political revolution. In fact, that was the one reason why they rejected him as Messiah. They wanted a political Messiah, but Yeshua had refused to take on that role. But he was a threat to the Jewish leaders' power and prestige. He confronted their sin, right? He convicted them of their selfishness and rebellion against Adonai. So we have the Jewish leaders, negative example that we, don't, that we should avoid, a willful and knowing rejection of Messiah. Maybe there's somebody in your life like that. Maybe it's a, a child. Maybe it's a parent. But we see Pilate as a different example here, another negative example. We need to avoid that. Pilate had a different spin. He compromised integrity to save himself. A little background here for you on Roman Governmental rule, we have to understand this here. Generally speaking, as we know, Roman law allowed the local law of every province to be executed without a lot of over-interference. This self-governing local law of our Jewish people at this time was vested in the Sanhedrin, meaning simply a council, which was allowed to exercise judicial functions. But again, if the body desired to inflict capital punishment, this sentence was reserved for the Roman procurator, the, the empire officer. And history tells us that Pontius Pilate was the fifth Roman procurator in, uh, of Judea. Judea was an imperial province under the direct control of Emperor Tiberius, who occupied the office, by the way, Pilate did, for a 10-year term from about 26 CE to 36 or 37 CE until the emperor's death. And as a rule, these procurators, like Pilate, maintained supervision over the country from their official residence in Caesarea. Again, where the palace by Herod the Great was available and was built. But on, this, on Jewish festivals, like this one here at Passover... Their seat was temporarily transferred to living quarters in Jerusalem in order to deal with the danger of potential messianic uprising and, control the, and to control the thousands of people who would flock to the temple. Pilate, in his capacity judiciously, judicially, 
exercises both civil and criminal jurisdiction among not only Roman citizens, but also among foreigners. Pilate could deal with crime by investigating on his own initiative and by any means at his disposal. It was also clear from various sources that judicial administration in the provinces like Judea was much less technical, was much less precise than that which would be required in Rome itself. It is this fact, my friends, that seems to enable the flexibility and the informality in Pilate's dealings with Yeshua to be understood in what we read here in this chapter. In addition to the gospel accounts, I know many of you love to read extra-biblically as well, the Jewish authors Philo and Josephus provide information about this governorship of Pilate in Josephus' The Jewish War and in his Antiquities volume as well as Philo's Legation to Gaius volume. According to Philo, actually, Pilate was experienced in politics, in the affairs of government as well as the military, was deeply trusted by the Roman government. This is Philo. Philo calls him, though, a man of most ferocious passions and speaks of his corruption, speaks of his acts of violence and insolence and his cruelty and his continual murders of people that were untried and uncondemned. But we find when studying the Gospels and Josephus and Philo that they convey an apparent divergence among them. They're not unified in their understanding of Pilate. Philo, again, of Alexandria's rendering, is extremely hostile to Pilate, as I've mentioned. Josephus, the Jewish historian's rendition, is comparatively neutral toward Pilate. And the rendering from the gospel writers, honestly, it's pretty friendly. Comparatively so. And so Pilate's job performance has been examined with mixed reviews. His historical report card has shown that he was weak, indecisive, cruel, arrogant, ruthless, anti-Semitic, who tries to cover up his weakness by a show of obstinacy and violence, which involves him in actions that repeatedly offended our Jewish people. Public opinion as well went against him, and his period of office, although short, was marked by several savage outbreaks of bloodshed. We know historically that in his early rule, Pilate had angered our people by sending soldiers into Jerusalem with military personnel bearing emblems that our Jewish people regarded as idolatrous. And when our Jewish people resisted that, Pilate threatened to kill him, to kill our people. But many of our Jewish people just lay down in front of him and bared their swords, bared their necks rather to his sword. So Pilate had to yield or risk open rebellion by our people, which he couldn't afford to do. And he lost face in that deal. But he outraged our Jewish people as well by taking some of their money from the temple treasury to finance an aqueduct. And our Jewish people, they rioted because of that. Many were killed, resulting in Pilate receiving a scathing rebuke from Rome. In Yeshua, early in our study in chapter 13, he refers to another incident in our study as well, where Pilate had mingled the Galileans' blood with their sacrifices. So Pilate and our Jewish people, man, they were, they were in collision. They were clashing a lot. And Pilate here, in this chapter, could not afford another word or another incident getting back to Rome. He despised our Jewish people. 
He knew they were accusing Yeshua out of envy, though, and he had to placate them to save his own neck, even if it meant the death of an innocent person. And so at this point, what should a pilot should have done? Should have just dismissed, case dismissed. And I'm going to give you some security to get out of town, Yeshua. And the case would have been over, but our Jewish people kept insisting that Yeshua, quote, stirred up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, as far as to here. And so when Pilate heard the word Galilee, he got a bright idea. (laughs) If Yeshua was a Galilean, who? Then he falls into Herod's jurisdiction. And so Herod's in town as well, like I am for the Passover festival. Pilate sends Yeshua to Herod to get rid of the case. You see, at the very least, sending Yeshua to Herod might serve to patch up a quarrel between the two, Herod and Pilate, that they've been having for years over jurisdiction. It was a win-win situation in Pilate's mind. So we've got the Jewish leaders, negative example, we want to avoid that. Pilate, the compromised attitude, want to avoid that. But finally, we have here Herod, curious interest without repentance. You see, only Luke indicates the story of Yeshua being passed off to Herod, Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great. You remember him, slaughtered the infants in Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Antipas ruled over Galilee from the year 4 BCE to 39 CE. This is the Herod, you remember, who Yochanan the Immerser had rebuked because he had dumped his first wife. Remember that? Married his brother's wife, Herodias. She hated John, you remember. He had to keep her at bay. So what did he do? Herod puts John in prison. Herodias asks for John's head on a platter. Herod has to reluctantly comply and does. And after this, when Herod heard of Yeshua's preaching and his miracles, he's haunted by his guilt over his thing with John. He wants to see Yeshua for a long time, the Bible says here, hoping to see some sign performed by him. And now finally, he's got his opportunity. He has his chance here. From his earlier conversations, no doubt with John, Herod knew All the right questions he was going to ask Yeshua. He found theology fascinating. And he wanted to hear what this famous teacher would say to his intelligent questions. (laughs) But the Bible records it was like Yeshua was deaf. The longer Yeshua refused to respond, the more foolish Herod's looking in front of his men. His anger begins to build, but rather than just explode with anger, the cunning Herod just begins to mock Yeshua. Herod pictures for us a person who likes to dabble in spiritual matters, but has no intention of applying it personally so as to make teshuva, to repent. My friends, it's interesting, isn't it, to sit around and discuss theology. It's interesting. But all sound doctrine leads to repentance. And it leads to growth. And it leads to holiness. Herod teaches us here not to simply dabble in spiritual matters. Don't treat Yeshua as an interesting subject to discuss Don't look at Yeshua as a sideshow to watch him perform. And I love when he performs, don't you? I love it. 
If we treat Yeshua as anything less than the son of Adonai who gave himself for our sins, then we use theology as an interesting topic to dodge the need for repentance. We are treating him with contempt. That was Herod's fatal mistake here. And that leads me to this conclusion with you today. April, if you'd come up. The conclusion is the Messiah, whom they all rejected, shows us why we today should make Teshuvah and trust in him. If you'd stand with me today. There are three ways Yeshua shows us that in this passage. First, Yeshua was innocent of any wrongdoing. Yeshua is that spotless lamb of God, the only sacrifice for our sins. As Isaiah 53 puts it so well in verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeshua showed it to us. Secondly, he laid aside, think about it, his rights in obedience to his father, Adonai. His voluntary offering of himself as a sacrifice for our sins should give us confidence to trust him and turn away from all of our sins out of love for him. And finally, Yeshua bore faithful witness by his words and by his silent dignity. When Pilate here asked Yeshua if he was the king of the Jews, Yeshua could not say no and be truthful. But Yeshua could not say an unqualified yes because he was not a king in the way that our Jewish people had accused him before Pilate of being. So he replied, as you say. Yeshua did not respond to Herod's questions because he knew that Herod was not open to repentance. My friends, Yeshua stands before us today and confronts us and the world, all human beings, all flesh, with our need to repent of our sins. That's not a Baptist message. That's a biblical message. It is not enough to pronounce Yeshua not guilty and then get on with our lives. Pilate wanted to do that. No, we must come to grips with who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father. And as the risen Lord, exalted to the right hand of the power of God, Yeshua is also the coming king who's going to judge all who reject him. We cannot, we meaning the world, cannot dodge him. For those here today and those listening on the podcast, what is your verdict on Yeshua on this first day of 2022? Guilty? Well, then you're seriously wrong. 
not guilty? Well, then you're right, but that's not enough. We must trust him as our Messiah. We must turn from all of our sin and follow him as our Lord. That, my friends, is the only correct verdict on Messiah Yeshua. That is our charge in 2022, friends, to make that unavoidable question the question. Many of you live in families where you love to dodge, where they love to dodge your question. Well, our Thanksgiving, we don't talk politics or religion. Man, let's make it the main question. The stakes are too high. Eternity is at stake. Eternity was at stake for Betty White, thought she had more time. We don't know what her life was. So, Father, we ask even today, we don't know what will happen when we leave these doors. But we know there's a world that needs to be facing this question if we have already faced it ourselves. We've made peace with God. We've gotten off the throne of our life. If there's anything 2020 and 2021 has taught us, we're not in control necessarily. We can plan. God laughs sometimes. So we release all of our plans to you, Lord, in the sense of being non-flexible. We want to be flexible. We want to be spiritual gumbies and pokies in your kingdom in 2022. Lord, if we're on an airplane, we want to be flexible. If there's somebody that asks, well, what do you do? Or where do you go to congregation? We want to be flexible. If we're out in a mall and if we're eating at a restaurant and the Lord prompts on our heart to share with that hostess or that server, we want to be flexible. Lord, give us those opportunities to be selfless and not selfish. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do this year. By faith, we ask you, Lord, to open up doors that no man will shut and to close those that no man can open. We bless you, Lord, today. And as the sons of Aaron bless the people, we want to do this. We want to start off 2022 with your blessing, Lord. It's not ours, it's yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and grant you his peace, his shalom, the shalom that passes all understanding. And those of us who are with him and have made a verdict for him in your lives, say amen with me and amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, treeoflifeca.org, and be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Congregation, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. 
Be sure to tune in for our next episode as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through scripture.